1: Welcome in, everybody episode 722 with the podcast of Assuming America, the Airtour Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Thursday, June 14th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day and I hope everybody is ready for an eerily, spookily loaded episode of the Airtour Sports Podcast here on a Thursday. We usually do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm glad we ended up doing Tuesday, Thursday, Friday this week. And here is why. We're going to open with the news of the day on Wednesday, which is that the SEC has actually released its first schedules for the 2024 season, the year that Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC. So we've talked a lot. We talked about this for three years, right? But on Thursday, Wednesday, we got all the official games. Texas is hosting Georgia. Bama is doing this that team's hosting that Oklahoma's going to play there so I'm going to react to all of the craziness of the SEC schedule from there we will take a quick break come back and a little bit of hoops one don't know if John Calipari was listening to this show but on Tuesday after I crushed Calipari for not having a collective it appears as though he is finally ready to get into the NIL space I'll tell you what it means for kentucky the good and if there is a little bit of bad and then from there we'll wrap with one other college hoop story did you see this college hoops actually outrating the nba in the postseason national championship game outrating games five of the nba finals i try to tell everybody college sports somehow continues to be underrated and underappreciated so that is what today's show is going to look like loaded jam-packed show let's not waste any more time and let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day as i just told you it is that on wednesday the sec released their 2024 football schedule now many you probably sit there and say "Taurus, we haven't even played 2023 why do you care why would anybody care well, if you're listening, you probably know. It is because 2024 is, of course, the year that Texas and Oklahoma come to the SEC. And so we got to see for the first time, okay, Texas, they got to go to Texas AM. and m Georgia's coming to Austin. Uh, Oklahoma is hosting this team. So we got to see it all on paper. And what I want to do here over the next 10, 12, 15 minutes, whatever it takes, I just want to react to these schedules. Remember, 16 teams in the SEC starting in 2024, including Texas and Oklahoma. Eight league games, at least for the coming season. Yes, my guess is that we eventually get to nine, but for now, we only have eight. Let's get to some immediate reactions, and I just want to make one thing clear. I am reacting in real time to everything that we just saw on YouTube. So if my eyes are wandering and oh my goodness, why does he keep looking at the corner of his screen? Listen, forgive me. I don't have 16 team schedules memorized off the top of my head, but I took a bunch of notes when I was watching. I have several marquee takeaways from the SEC 2024 schedule release. Let's get to it. Drum roll, please. Release Uh, opinion number one reaction. Number one. To the 2024 schedule release one i will say that i am glad that for the most part rivalries were kept intact and so if you remember um it's been a big topic of conversation over the last couple months do you go to eight league games or nine league games if you go to nine league games you have three permanent rivals Uh, and uh, obviously you would have then six other teams that you would play every other year. But if you go to an eight-game schedule, there is only one permanent rival. And so coming into Wednesday, the question became, okay, we all know that Alabama's permanent rival is probably going to be Auburn. But what does that mean for Auburn, Georgia? What does it mean for Alabama, Tennessee? What does it mean for Alabama, LSU? If you look at a school like Texas, if they only have one permanent rival, is it Oklahoma, the, the 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 Red River shootout? Is it Arkansas? Is it Texas A&M? And so my number one biggest takeaway is this. I never understood why if we're only positive we have an eight-game schedule for 2024, why we had to assume that rivalry games were going to get eliminated. And I want to give the SEC credit. I think all of those rivalry games that make college football college football, Most of them were remaining and retained. Now, if you're a Tennessee fan that still has Georgia and Bama on the schedule, I don't know if you're thrilled. If you're an Auburn fan that has Georgia and Bama on the schedule, I don't know that you're thrilled, but I think that you probably are. Because rivalry games are what make college football. There's nothing like it in any other sport outside of maybe college basketball, where you have genuine hatred between fan bases respectfully uh you go to the the the, the biggest rivalries in pro sports what is a big pro sports rivalry Eagles Cowboys like I I don't like the fans I guess sort of hate each other but you're talking about 2,000 miles between cities you're talking about one being good and one not being good I know they were both good last year so don't get me wrong on that I don't know that the hatred is as extreme as in Alabama Auburn as in Auburn, Georgia, as a, 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 a whoever, Texas, Texas A&M. And so I am so thrilled that for the most part, everybody who has rivalries was able to keep them. For people who have not seen the schedule, Texas and Oklahoma still playing, but we get Texas at Arkansas and Texas at Texas A&M. We also get Alabama playing both uh, they're, natu- they're they're probably if we stick with eight games, that one permanent rival Auburn, but we also get them playing Tennessee. We also get them playing LSU. So one, kudos to Greg Sankey. As I said, if we're only sticking with the eight game schedule for one year, never understood why for this one year you couldn't keep most of those big rivalries intact, and that is largely what happened on Wednesday night. Reaction number two. I don't know what the date is, but for just, I think, the fourth time since Nick Saban got to Alabama, we get Georgia and Bama in the regular season in the SEC. And the thing about this, so we don't have a date, Georgia goes to Tuscaloosa. But every time, I was thinking about this, every time these two teams play in the regular season, it is always un. There's always a storyline of it. 2008, you guys remember the blackout game? That was the famous, the first like really big win of the Nick Saban era where they went to Georgia. They played Georgia in a night game in Athens. And the famous quote was Georgia was wearing black uniforms and Alabama's strength coach at the time, Scott Cochran, said they're wearing black funerals because they're going to their own funeral. They're wearing wearing black uniforms because they're going to their own funeral. So you had the blackout game. You had 20, I think, 16, which was a year where Alabama hadn't been an underdog forever. They're an underdog. They destroy Georgia. Obviously, a few years ago, they played during the COVID year. They've played some classics over the last couple of years in Atlanta at the SEC championship game. So the fact that we get this in the regular season, I could not be more fired up. And here is the cool part about it. The cool part is, listen. A lot is going to change between June of 2023 and September, October, November of 2024. I still believe these two programs are going to be the class of college football and the class of the SEC. That's not a disrespect to any LSU fans listening or uh, whoever, you know, Tennessee, I know you're on the rise. Uh, uh, Whoever, Florida, if you're trusting Billy Napier, and I'm not sure that I am right now, uh, we'll, we'll save that for a minute. But the point I'm trying to make, A&M fans, Texas, whoever, whatever. They're going to be the class of this league. Alabama, yes, they have to figure out the quarterback position this year. But do you know that statistically they still have the most talented roster in college football, according to the blue chip ratio, Bud Elliott that came out earlier this week? Georgia is going to be phenomenal next year as well. So great game. I am so excited. Just cannot wait for that game like so many of you. Let's keep it going with reaction number three. Um, And this is when I'm going to start to, the the eyes are going to dart as I try to keep up with everything. But we got the first Texas and Oklahoma schedules of the SEC era. Reaction number three and reaction number four. The Texas schedule is just a little bit easier, but there are some very interesting marquee games there. By the way, I already saw it on social media. LOL, of course, Texas got the easier schedule. I don't know if you can really say they did, but let me lay it out. This is who Texas is going to play in their first season in the SEC. Texas is going to host Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and Mississippi State. They will have only three road games because, of course, they'll play Oklahoma in the Red River game, and then they will play at AM, at Arkansas, at Vandy. So people sit there and say, well, they get Vandy and they get Mississippi State. Those are two very easy games. Kentucky, respectfully, we got a lot of Wildcats fans that listen, is a team at home you should take care of. But here's where it gets interesting if you're Texas. The SEC League offices, man, oh man, I don't know if it's a sense of humor or an a sense of anticipation and excitement, but how about sending them to Kyle Field and to Arkansas in year one? in the sec because at the end of the day what i can tell you is this i don't know a lot i'm forrest gump i'm not a smart man but i know what forrest gump i'm not a smart man but i know what love is well aaron torres i'm not a smart man but i know what hate is and i don't think there are two fan bases that hate any other school in college football as much as arkansas fans and a&m fans hate texas Of course, the Arkansas relationship goes back to the old Southwest Conference days. It's crazy because, of course, Arkansas has been in the SEC for 30-plus years at this point. But listen, we got a lot of listeners in Arkansas. A lot of them are in the 50s, 60s, 70-year-old range. And I am here to tell you, you want to get their blood boiling, talk to them about Texas. And, of course, if you're really an old-school college football fan, you know that throughout the 60s, These two teams played every year, top 10 in the country when Frank Broyles was at Arkansas. And you better believe that every year there were national championship implications on the line, even in the pre-BCS, pre-playoff era. But I will say this. And by the way, they played two years ago in Fayetteville and it was insanity. It was one of the craziest atmospheres that I have ever seen when Arkansas just smacked Texas in the second game of the Steve Sarkeesian era. But I'll also say As much hatred as there is for Arkansas, for Texas, I don't think anything hates anything else more than Texas A&M hates Texas. So to send Texas into Kyle Field, 100-plus thousand fans, 12 years after Texas A&M left the Big 12 for the SEC, that might be the game of the year in college football. Outside, It's going to be hard to top Georgia-Alabama. But from a hatred perspective, from an anger perspective, by the way, if you're a Texas fan walking in that stadium and burnt orange, you're braver than I am. That game is going to be insane. Also, again, Texas gets, LA, or gets uh, Georgia at home. With that said, though, I got to say this. I think Oklahoma got the much tougher draw of the, the two teams. First of all, again, because their game against each other is, is on a neutral field it means that one team is going to one team is going to get 3 home games and 4 road games one team is going to get 4 home games and 3 road games texas gets the four home games three road games oklahoma has the neutral site game against texas but then here is the schedule for oklahoma in year 1 of the sec alabama at home tennessee at home which, by the way, we'll get to in a minute, but a Josh Heupel revenge game. And then you have to go to LSU, which is going to be awesome under Brian Kelly. To Ole Miss, as long as Lane Kiffin is at Ole Miss, they're going to be very good. And to Auburn, which I think will be heavily improved under Hugh Freeze. They got like seven commitments this week as I'm recording here. And then you have at Missouri. So I bring it up because you look at that Oklahoma schedule. I don't know. Again, I'll I'll go back to it. I think Lincoln Riley left in part because he knew it was going to be hard to compete at the highest level at Oklahoma in the SEC, but we're going to find out early. Alabama at home, Tennessee at home, Texas on a neutral, at LSU, at Auburn, at Ole Miss. That is not an easy way to start. Oh, by the way, that Missouri game, of course, is an old Big 12, Big 8 rivalry game as well. Let's keep it going with reaction number 5 and I kind of just spoiled it but how about Josh Heupel and Tennessee going to Oklahoma. Why is that important? Well, Josh Heupel's an awesome coach. Tennessee had the number 1 ranked offense and defense or, or number 1 ranked offense and scoring offense last year in college football. They're going to Oklahoma where Josh Heupel played. And remember, Josh Heupel how about this for a narrative? Josh Heupel led Oklahoma to a national championship. Josh Heupel then returned as an assistant coach and was the offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and got fired by his alma mater. Had to go back down. I think he coached at Utah State for a year. Built himself back up to Central Florida, to Tennessee. You don't think he's going in with a chip on his shoulder to that game. So that is a big one to circle. Josh Heupel's return game. From Tennessee to Oklahoma let's keep it going with reaction number five as I'm quickly just trying to piece together the rest of this segment you know I mentioned Tennessee on top of the Josh Hypo return very interesting schedule for Tennessee because and I don't know Tennessee fans you tell me do you like it do you not like it is that first off you kept the two big rivals that are just a thorn in your side you you have Bama and Georgia in 2024 Bama at home, Florida also at home, and then Georgia on the road, much like last year. What's interesting to me about the Tennessee schedule, again, I give the SEC offices credit because what we want are games between fan bases that do not like each other. And what I can tell you is all of those hated rivals, or even if you don't want to call them a rival, But like Tennessee and Kentucky, those fans, you guys don't get along. I know it for a fact. I've seen it on social media. I've been caught up in the middle of your guys back and forth, okay? So Tennessee gets to keep Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Kentucky on that schedule. I know y'all hate each other. So that is going to be unbelievable because you get all those great games that everybody wants to see. I think Josh Heupel is going to keep it at an elite level, and those are going to be must-watch games. I mentioned that Tennessee is on Georgia's schedule. I'll say this, I think you can argue that Georgia got the toughest draw of anyone in the SEC in 2024. And by the way, maybe that's how it should be. Historically, the East has been the easier division. Remember, I should have mentioned this off the top. There are no longer divisions in the SEC. And so I bring it up because of the fact that Georgia doesn't have the East schedule. And how about this? They basically got rid of the three worst teams in the division. So Georgia in 2024 will not play Vanderbilt, will not play Missouri, will not play South Carolina. I know last year South Carolina was good, so not trying to discredit them. We'll see if they can keep it up. But I bring it up because Georgia lost those three teams, Vandy, South Carolina, and Missouri. They still have Kentucky. They still have Tennessee. They still have Florida as well, so they'll still have the cocktail party. And then how about this? They have to go to Texas and to Alabama. So that is Georgia's 2024 schedule. At Texas, at Alabama, now they will get Auburn at home. I should have mentioned Auburn, of course, the Deep South's oldest rivalry is still going on. At Auburn at home, Tennessee at home, Florida on a neutral field. So, three home games for Georgia, plus the neutral field game against Florida. Plus, on top of that, at Alabama, at Texas, and I'll take it a step further. They play at Ole Miss next year. I'm telling you, as long as Lane Kiffin is there, that won't be easy. I should mention, if Georgia got the toughest schedule, I think Florida is probably number two. They have LSU, Ole Miss, and AM at home. One thing I'll say about AM, remember, that 2022 recruiting class, number one in the history of the sport, if they're still there, they're all going to be juniors and ready to freaking go. And then on top of that, uh, they have Georgia on a neutral at Tennessee, at Texas, Mississippi State. A couple other quick reactions before we get out of here. I'll say this. Arkansas fans believe, from what I can tell, I'm not one, that the SEC offices hate them. Well, I'll just say this. I think Arkansas has a relatively manageable schedule in 2024, all things considered. No Alabama, no Georgia, no Florida, if you deem Florida to be good. On top of that, Texas A&M, Southwest Classic will still be in Arlington. So Arkansas gets four home games, three road games. The road games, Auburn, Mississippi State, and Missouri won't be easy. But then the home game, you talk about a loaded home schedule. LSU at home, Texas at home, plus Tennessee, which is going to be awesome, and Ole Miss, which is going to be awesome. But basically, the two games that Arkansas fans wanted at home, they got LSU and Texas. Those are going to be insane, insane, insane atmospheres. Cannot wait to watch. Finally, a couple other thoughts. One, Kentucky, I think they were one of the big – no division losers here. They still have Vandy in South Carolina, but they also still have Georgia at home and Auburn at home, but have to go to Florida place where they've actually won. I think two out of the last three times to Ole Miss to Tennessee to Texas. So first of all, shout out Kentucky fans. You get the trip to Oxford and the trip to Austin, but I think three really tough games against probably three very elite offensive minds, Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, Josh Hypel, Tennessee, Steve Sarkisian, Texas. Finally, last reaction. I don't think I have very much else. AM obviously, listen, Texas, Texas, AM is going to be awesome. Um, my only other reaction, I've seen a lot of Auburn conversation. Like Tennessee, they still have their two rivalry games with Alabama and uh, Alabama and Georgia. But how about this Auburn fans? No LSU, no Ole Miss, no Mississippi State historically those aren't what i would call rivalries but they're schools that have played quite a bit and finally let me say this considering that alabama has georgia on the schedule i don't think you can say it's easy i think you can argue Alabama's schedule might be a little bit easier than a lot of people think still have rivalry game against auburn still have a rivalry game against tennessee but those are both at home but you now get south carolina out of the east And two of your three road games, Vandy, uh, Vandy on the road. So you get, oh, excuse me. I want to take that back. So you get three teams that historically have not been great out of the East. And you usually would only get one because you always get Tennessee, right? Well, how about this? Alabama gets Missouri and South Carolina at home, plus at Vandy. And then from there, the schedule is interesting. Still have at LSU, at Oklahoma, at Tennessee, and then Auburn and Georgia at home. Can't say it's an easy schedule with Georgia at Oklahoma at Tennessee, but it's manageable by SEC standards. All right. Oh, and they have LSU too. No big deal. Just playing in Baton Rouge craziness. I think that's it. That was a long segment, but hopefully a productive one. Man, this, I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to continue on because we got to get to some hoop stuff. Seeing those Texas-Oklahomas, it's insane. Like, like We've been talking about it for three years. But the fact that Texas and Oklahoma are officially here, oh, it is on. And then, of course, the funny part was seeing the Texas-Oklahoma fans like, oh, my goodness, this get-. welcome to the SEC, boys. Welcome to the SEC. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, come back. When we come back, a little bit of hoops. Uh, John Calipari was very critical of them on Tuesday. But they have a collective in place. I'm going to give you details on that. And then we'll wrap. Did you see NBA Finals Game 5 did did fewer viewers than that boring UConn-San Diego State game that everybody claimed nobody was watching? Take a quick break. We'll talk about that. That's up next.
0: This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
1: See website for details. All right, we'll get back to the show in a minute. But before we do... I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook, and the Betfred Sportsbook app. The NBA playoffs are here, and nobody has you covered quite like Betfred. By now, you know Betfred's story, started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,200 shops in the UK. They have since come to the United States and made a major splash. They are not only the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres podcast and all things Aaron Torres Media, but also The Cincinnati Bengals, the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos. And what I love about Betfred Sportsbook is that nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. You've seen the Betfred Sportsbook suite at Bengals games. It is hopping. We have sent listeners of this show to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitches at Colorado Rockies games. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred Sportsbook does. And here is what they are doing for the NBA playoffs. How about this for a deal? Bet $50 on any game, all playoffs long, get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app, bet $50 on any game. you automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, here is what else Betfred does for you. They're going to give you up to $200 in insurance for the first five weeks that you're a Betfred customer. So, Maybe you make a bad pick. We all do. We've all been there. Trust me. You followed my picks in March Madness. It happens. So you bet $200. does not work out. Get 200 insurance for the first five weeks that you are a Betfred customer, equating up to $1,111 in free bets thanks to Betfred. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred does. Love working with them. They are the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Pod. Tell them Torres sent you. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app
0: a woohooer, a hand clap, or a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at
1: ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All
1: right, everybody. Hi, right, Beck. going to be back in a bit. Do want to switch gears. And so, uh, you know, I want to circle back on a story that we talked about on Tuesday's Aaron Torres pod. Obviously, if you listen, you kind of know the deal, right? All offseason, I've been talking about Kentucky basketball. We don't need to rehash and relitigate everything. But essentially, long story short, I've just found it to be a very bizarre offseason from a distance. Uh, players transferring that that probably are going to go to places where they'll have a smaller role than they would have if they stayed at Kentucky, uh, struggles to bring in new transfers, players entering the NBA draft that have no chance to actually get drafted. And so I bring it up. This is all stuff that I've talked about. But on Tuesday's show, we reacted to some comments about from about Kentucky from Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio. And really two things in Matt's comments stood out to me. One was that he said the program was, quote, in complete disarray, again, kind of following up on a lot of the same things that I have already talked about previously. But then two, which I thought was more alarming, was that basically, um, you know, the Matt said that that really Calipari has basically lost touch with all of the major boosters and that essentially in 2023 in the NIL era, these have to be your lar- largest advocates to run a successful basketball or football program and so we talked a lot about it i kind of gave my opinions but what's interesting is immediately after i hit publish on that podcast and on the youtube video the corresponding youtube video whatever a funny thing happened literally as soon as i finished that segment hit publish it was on your uh you know iphones or whatever to download a funny thing happened and that is this we got multiple reports. Matt Jones, Jack Pilgrim, Kentucky Sports Radio, that John Calipari, after Matt Jones crushed him, I've been crushing them all off season. Several others have as well. John Calipari is finally getting into the NIL space. The reports out of Kentucky is that there is a basketball specific collective that has been started by John Calipari. Now he's not calling it a collective. But it, it 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 serves all of the collective purposes. It is a fundraising arm to raise money and create opportunities for Kentucky basketball players in the NIL space. And in a, a, a story as old as time, John Calipari, to his credit, usually ahead of the curve on things. But if he falls behind, to his credit, he generally corrects very quickly. And that is exactly what he has done here as the La Familia F- Club. Not the fun, the La Familia Club is starting to gain legs and be established. And essentially, we don't know very much about it right now. But what we know very simply is this it is an NIL part of the Kentucky basketball program, raising funds for Kentucky basketball players. And we do believe that it is going to involve several high profile boosters, but also, and this is kind of an interesting twist. Several current NBA players or former NBA players that have played under Calipari that will be giving to that fund as well. And so, if I'm going to spend 20 minutes criticizing John Calipari on Tuesday's show, telling him he needs to change, he needs to get with the times, he needs to get into the collective NIL world of 2023, well, then I got to give him credit here because clearly he knew, and this didn't happen over the course of the weekend. But he knew at some point this offseason that he had fallen behind, that whether he liked it or not, it was time to keep up with the Joneses. It was time to get in the NIL collective space. And that is exactly what he has done here. Just a couple of quick thoughts. One, let me let me let me even backtrack and say this. I don't necessarily blame John Calipari Or being frustrated with where nil has gone okay and this probably warrants a 30 second backtrack but we've talked about this a million times nil was supposed to be true what i call to be true nil a player shows up on campus he rushes for a thousand yards he throws for 25 touchdowns he scores 20 points per game in basketball and then local corporate sponsors come to him and say hey Here's $500 show up at my car dealership tomorrow. Here's $1,000 for an Instagram post. Here's $5,000 for X, Y, and Z. That was what NIL was supposed to be. But what it quickly evolved into is what I was just talking about a minute ago. Essentially, a, a, a fundraising arm called a collective, raising money from multiple boosters to essentially give players, mostly football and men's basketball, a quote-unquote base salary. They're calling it NIL, but what it really is is a base salary, and John Calipari has been very much against that form. He said, come to Kentucky. We're going to create all sorts of opportunities for you. We have players in national TV commercials. If you watch the NCAA tournament last year, Jacob Toppin was in one. Chris Livingston of Starting Forward was in a Beats by Dre commercial. And so what John Calipari has said is, come here. We're going to create all these incredible opportunities for you, but we're not just going to pay you to come here. And John Calipari, to be clear, is not even alone in that stance. Deion Sanders, this week, with Joel Klatt, said, I am against collectives and what they stand for. Nick Saban, when he was yelling and screaming about Jimbo Fisher a year ago, this is what he was talking about. But at the same time, why this is important is what I said on the last episode. You either adapt or die, evolve or die. Nick Saban There was just a big article on ESPN about three or four weeks ago. Nick Saban signed one of his greatest recruiting classes ever. You know why? It's because he realized, you know what? Money-wise, I probably can't keep up with Texas A&M or Miami or whomever. Fill in the blanks of whatever schools you think are paying the most. But I can't go in and give them nothing either. And so Nick Saban has evolved. I touched base with somebody I know at Alabama. They said their collectives in the last year have completely flipped. And it's apparently the same at Kentucky. And I give credit to John Calipari for that. Because at the end of the day, we can dislike something, hate it, whatever. But at some point, you have to evolve. And I do think the reality is that especially for transfers, they are looking for some sort of guaranteed money. We can deny. We can pretend. But this is 2023. All the best players have agents. All the best players have people kind of doing negotiating for them. And this idea of, hey, come here, and if good things happen, you're going to get a bag. No, 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 no. That school's offering me a bag just to sign on the dotted line. So is that school and that school and that school. And by John Calipari in Kentucky not doing this, they were falling behind. So again, I do want to give them credit because I do think this is an important step in their evolution as a program. Beyond that, let me also say this. I think it's kind of cool, and I think it could open a cool kind of window for current players with the the element of former players being involved in this collective. Now, it goes without saying, we do not know what that means or how it's going to be, uh, you know, wh- how it's going to work, right? But at the same time, what I do think is very interesting is how that could potentially be leveraged, and it's something that is completely exclusive to Kentucky. Think about it. Think about if say, and I'm using hypothetical names here. But if De'Aaron Fox is involved, if Devin Booker is involved, if John Wall, if De'Aaron Fox, I think I said, Jamal Murray, Anthony Davis, whomever, think about all those players, Julius Randle, and what a player at Kentucky right now being affiliated with those guys could create for them. So say De'Aaron Fox gives money. Well, now maybe you're promoting some of the same, maybe you're promoting De'Aaron Fox's brand. That's cool get to do a commercial with De'Aaron Fox, get to do a photo shoot with De'Aaron Fox. You get to look cool on IG. You get some money in your pocket, whatever. Same with whoever, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, et cetera. But I think this is a cool element, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the the, the sales pitch going forward to Kentucky. Hey, it used to be following Jamal Murray's footsteps and go to the NBA coming here for one year. Now it can be, hey, you can literally work with Jamal Murray. Uh, you know, we're going to have an off. off there's going to be an off weekend in January. Jamal's going to be playing in, you know, uh, the next town over, whatever. I don't know where where Denver would play. They're going to be playing in, in Cleveland. You go over there, you shoot a commercial with him. It's a jolly old time. Don't know if that's how it's going to work. It's how I would sell it, though, if I was Kentucky. Uh, I think it's interesting. I saw not too long ago Scoot Henderson, who's going to be potentially the second pick in the NBA draft. Sign with Steph Curry's uh, you know, shoe company. And he's doing a bunch of stuff with Steph Curry. So why can't Kentucky use an element of that? Work with De'Aaron Fox. Work with Jamal Murray. Work with Devin Booker. Work with Anthony Davis. Work with Julius Randle. Come here and these are the things that our collective has created. Lastly, though, I'm not going to be all rainbows and sunshine about this. I want to have an honest conversation. Because while I just said a minute ago, especially for transfers... NIL is very important. You can't give them this whole, hey, come here and maybe this will happen. They want to guarantee, they want to know a set dollar amount. But I also want to warn Kentucky fans, warn any fan of what I have said all offseason. While I know we all think that every player is involved in a bidding war, I want to make it abundantly clear, especially in the transfer portal, for most players, NIL is a huge factor, and you got to have something. But it is not the only factor in making their decision. I want to go through that one more time because nobody listens to me. But listen, 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 listen. At the end of the day, think about if you're a transfer, okay? Kentucky fans are used to recruiting high school Americans, one and dones, guys that are only going to be there for one year. So NIL in college really isn't that important because it's about getting to the next level where you can make, you know, $40 $40 million, $40 million before you're 22 years old. And then you can sign for $200 million after that. That's not how it is for transfers. Even the best ones, even the best transfers are kind of fringe NBA players at best, but they're really good college basketball players. So for them, NIL is a fact, but as I've said a million times, what's an even bigger factor is playing time, opportunity, fit and role. And that doesn't mean every guy's coming in saying, I need to play this many minutes. I need this. I need that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is when Kentucky announced this, I had a bunch of Kentucky fans. Well, now that we're just going to be paying players like everybody else, we're going to get everybody. That's not how it works in the portal. Yes, some guys make decisions solely on money, but most, again, fit opportunity and role. That is just the fact that's the bottom line. Because for most of these players, And by the way, the same in football for most of these players, you got one to two years left to maximize your opportunities at the college level. And so a bunch of money is cool. But if the system doesn't fit you, if the coach doesn't fit you, if there's three guys already at your position, it doesn't make sense. And that is a huge factor in all of these decisions that are getting made. This was another thing, by the way, I heard from Kentucky fans the other day when I did this. Well, there wasn't a player in the portal that could have came and started for us really or there was uh, all these players they just want to be superstars wherever they go no that's not it at all most of them are not going to be superstars but they want to go to a place where it makes sense for them and where again their skill set fits their style fits their whatever fits i'll give you a couple examples think about Cam spencer right kentucky recruited Cam spencer well, Cam Spencer, by the way, guard from Rutgers, averaged 13 points per game, 42%, three-point shooter. Well, we can't even promise him a starting spot. Really? Really? You're not going to – you mean to tell me that guy's not good enough to start? And by the way, I know Kentucky's recruiting class. Three five-star guards. Rob Dillingham, DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards is kind of a, a guard-forward hybrid, whatever. You mean to tell me you can't find a spot for a guy that averaged 13 and a half points per game in the Big Ten last year? But Calipari wouldn't do that. Calipari wouldn't say, hey, we need a guy just like you, and we can plug and play you right away. Instead, he did the whole, you know, everybody eats here, and you got to sacrifice minutes, and blah, blah, blah. No, Cam Spencer doesn't want to hear that. Cam Spencer wants to go to a place where they know they need a guy with his exact skill set. That's why he chose UConn. They were set everywhere else. They needed three-point shooting and spacing. That's why he chose UConn. Grant Nelson, by the way. As I record here, there's still the weird, is Grant Nelson actually committed to Alabama? Is he not? Nobody knows. Grant Nelson could have gone to Arkansas and and been part of something really special. And I'm sure financially he would have been taken care of. But he chose Alabama because they need help in the front court. And so don't tell me these guys, if I'm not a star, I'm not coming. It's not about being a star. It's about finding a spot where you're going to be productive and you're going to fit. It's the same for most of these guys. And so I just bring it up to say, That when I look at this whole situation, having the collective in place is fine for John Calipari in Kentucky. But if you're not, if you're not going to change how you recruit transfers, if you're not going to explain, hey, we got two guys at this position, but we need a guy at your position. If you're going to recruit guys that are used to starting and say, hey, you might have to come off the bench. That doesn't work with a 22 year old that has one year left of college basketball, especially a guy that started for a good team. So just keep that in mind. This will undoubtedly, undoubtedly help Kentucky, but Calipari still has to change that sales pitch if they want to have success in the portal. Before we get out of here, one last story that I do want to share because this just confirms, you know, this is a classic Aaron right, Aaron wrong topic that will probably come up later in the week. I saw on Wednesday sports TV ratings, uh, 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 twitter handle website that gives you literally what it says sports tv ratings they put out an interesting little stat they said that game five of the nba finals the closeout game the final game in the nba season averaged 13.084 million viewers that's an incredible amount it is a testament to a really good finals with a really talented player and Nikola Jokic, really talented team, right? Jamal Murray's awesome. Jimmy Butler's awesome. Aaron Gordon's awesome. Michael Porter Jr.'s awesome, et cetera. Why I'm bringing it up, though, why I'm talking about it is because, do you remember the conversation around the Final Four this year? Oh, it's the most boring Final Four that has ever existed. UConn, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, and Miami. I think I said San Diego State twice. UConn, San Diego State, Miami, Florida Atlantic most boring final four ever ticket sales are cheapest that they've been in forever remember what the national championship game was national title game it did 14.69 million viewers meaning that over a million and a half people more watched the ncaa championship then watch the NBA championship, that boring NCAA championship that nobody wanted to watch because nobody cares about college basketball, whatever. And those two teams are boring. It's the worst Final Four ever. It outdrew game five of the NBA finals. And so I just bring it up because that once again confirms something that I have said on this show a million times. First of all, the NBA is totally overcovered, But two... College sports remain woefully under So let's just break that down really quick, because if you watch and by the way, let me let me clarify something, because whenever I say this, people freak out. So what do you mean college sports are undercover? I live in Birmingham, Alabama. And we talk college football every single day. And I know you do. I go on radio in Birmingham with Cole Kublick and Greg McElroy. They're great. They talk college football every day. I go on radio with Ryan Fowler in Tuscaloosa. They talk college football every day. Same in Knoxville, same in wherever. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you turn on your local radio and you live in Baton Rouge that they aren't talking about your local team. What I'm more talking about, though, is the national commentators, the national commentary, ESPN, FS1, radio, whatever. You tune them in and... I don't think they ever talk college sports. I think one segment a week, Stephen A. Smith brings in Tim Tebow to talk college football. Skip and Shannon. Now, granted, they are a thing of the past. They do not exist anymore. I don't think they talked college football once at all, ever. And so I just bring it up because I do believe that college sports is woefully undercovered, especially relative to the NBA. The NBA is covered as if it is the NFL, as if. Every single person cares on every single day, every single level. Let me tell you the truth. Bottom line is this most Monday night football games, most good Sunday night football games, they outrate game six of the NBA final. But let me take it a step further game five of the NBA finals. But let me take it a step further. So so the NFL is king. And really, if it was all about ratings, we would only talk NFL all the time. Obviously, people want coverage of other stuff. But I still believe. That college sports is woefully, woefully undercovered, and I think this is a great example. This is, and I'm not saying, by the way, that uh, every single, uh, you know, that that you know, Skip Bayless needs to open his show talking about Grant Nelson and uh, Alabama basketball tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, relative to the coverage, I just think it's woefully undercovered. As an example, I just looked it up. That Georgia Ohio State national semifinal on Christmas Eve, by the way, 21 point something million viewers. In other words, it got 33% of a higher rating than that game, that game five of the NBA finals. But people sit there and say, well, that's a national semifinal an NBA finals or whatever. How about Alabama, Tennessee? Let's look at that Alabama, Tennessee game from earlier this year. Remember that Alabama, Tennessee game, Alabama goes to Tennessee, goes to Knoxville, Tennessee beats Alabama for the first time since I believe 06. That got 11 and a half million viewers. So, in other words, essentially, the difference between Alabama, Tennessee, a random Saturday college football game, and game five of the NBA Finals was like that much, about a million and a half difference. So, a million and a half difference between the national championship game for San Diego State, UConn to Alabama, this and that. You get the point. So the only thing I'm trying to say, I, I don't know why TV networks don't tell their people, you got to talk more college sports. Because again, all I heard all March long, oh, this is a boring NCAA tournament. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. Blah, blah, blah. This net not. Highest rated NCAA tournament opening weekend ever. 14.69 million people watch the national championship game, San Diego State and UConn. That is more than watch game five closeout game of the NBA finals. And that doesn't even compare remotely to what a big-time college football game gets during the regular season, let alone the postseason. Don't know if I made that point coherently. I just don't get the coverage of the NBA. And I think, again, on the national scale, big-time college football, you don't have to wait until Michigan plays Ohio State. There are a lot of interesting topics that are worth diving into. And if I was running a TV network, I would make sure that my people new college football, and even to a small degree, college basketball. I understand college basketball doesn't move the needle as much, but it's worth thinking about. It is absolutely worth thinking about. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the air tour sports podcast. I do think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon music, Google music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the air tour sports podcast. Also, Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Also, if you're not subscribed on YouTube, stop wasting your time. Get over to YouTube where we have all sorts of great content, stuff that I know you'll love. But that said, I do think it is time to get out of here, and I do appreciate everybody listening, but it is time for me to go. So, shout out to Torrent Crane. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. you F-ed. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back tomorrow, Friday, new episode, Aaron Torres Pod. I'll see everybody.